I'm only human after all. I'm only human after all. Hey, good morning, ACF. How you guys doing? Hey, welcome to church. I'm glad that you're here today. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in a series called All the Feels. And so if you're brand new, we just want to welcome you. Hope that you can uh, find a safe place to grow in your faith and ask questions and wrestle through your doubts together uh, with us. Um, It is January and it's dark. Anybody have a hard time getting up this morning? I'm telling you what, it's just that time of year. I swear to you, if you're new to Alaska, the sun is coming. It, it, it will be here soon. So we also want to welcome everybody who's with us online. Can we thank them for being with us as well? Yeah, we have an extended family who joins us every week uh, on Facebook Live. If you are on Facebook, encourage you, you can Facebook in church. Uh, Jump on there, share this post with your friends. It's just a great way uh, to get them involved with what's going on here, maybe from a distance. For a lot of people, coming into this space is a little scary. Uh, This may not be somebody's first step to just come to church on a Sunday morning, but uh, maybe through technology they can join us online. So if that's you, we're glad that you're with us today. So uh, we are having this conversation uh, about our emotional and spiritual health. And we start off the first week of this series saying basically that our emotional and spiritual health are inseparable. And we're walking through this book together. In fact, all of the group leaders up front are walking through the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I encourage you to pick that up. And much of what we're talking about is actually coming from the book. So I just want to give credit where credit is due, that we're taking as much as possible from that book and sharing it on a Sunday morning and then having discussions throughout the week in our community together about this. Um, and, and it's been really good to have conversations with you so far about this. I think that um, it's really going to transform our church and so encourage you, get in one of these groups. I, I was just looking at this crowd of people, and I'm like, you know what? you got to work really hard as part of the ACF community to isolate yourself because there are so many ways to be part of relationships and to grow together. And so I guarantee you one of these groups would be a great place for you to jump in. And so um, the first week we said Jesus is the representation of God on earth. We said, like in John 1, 14, the word became flesh. God himself took on the flesh of humanity. He sent Jesus to the world to show us, I believe, the absolute best way to be human. And and that's what we talk about really every week as a church is we come back to the life of Jesus in one way or another and we we try to watch him and really apprentice our lives towards Christ, become more like him because it's interesting that God didn't just send a book, he sent a man as a model of what it looks like to be the the, the best possible way of of being human. And so we want to model our lives after Christ, we want to learn from him and study his life. And so throughout this series, we keep coming back to the way that Jesus was emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy. We see that in the life of Jesus, he felt all his feelings. And we see that Jesus was an emotional man. And yet at the same time, he never sinned. He always walked in holiness. And at the same time, he expressed and experienced his emotions. We want to learn to do the same thing. And I believe as we do, that we'll be a healthier church and that our faith will become more real in our lives. Uh, For many people, I would say uh, today that are in the church, their faith isn't really working. And for a lot of people, you might even say this today, you're not really sure why you go to church. Uh, You would say if you had to choose that you're a Christian, but your faith might not really change anything about your life. And for a lot of people, they have sort of a faith that doesn't really work. And I would say a lot of that is because we we are maybe theologically trained and we go to church and we do a lot of good things for God and yet emotionally we're really unhealthy. And this results in a passionless faith. When we show you opportunities or give you chances to step into God's kingdom work, you're kind of like, meh, 
right? I don't know, because somewhere deep in your bones, you lack the belief that this is all really what matters, that the kingdom of God is really what matters in life. And if you lack that deep belief and that connection, even emotionally to that, then you're probably not going to walk in obedience. You're probably not going to sacrifice your life for the kingdom of God if it's just something that you're like, eh, eh, I don't know. I sort of believe it. But I believe when you're emotionally healthy, the passion will well up in your life. The commitment will well up in your life. You'll begin to choose holiness even when it's hard because you've connected who you are as a human being to this faith, this deep-seated truth that we know that Jesus is Lord. And so that's what we're starting off with today. We're going to talk about your past. Who's excited? Who's excited to talk about your past, right? Uh, You're not. Nobody's excited. That's good. I'm glad nobody raised your hands. Um, Because this is a hard conversation. In fact, we did a series a few months ago called uh, Past Forward. And I encourage you, if you want to dig into this deeper, go uh, get online. You can listen to that series and watch it online as well. But I really believe what we said in that series to be true, which is that you, you sometimes have to go backwards to go forward. Sometimes you have to dig into the past, deal with where you've been so that you can step forward as a person. And so we're going to walk into some some conversation today that's going to be a little difficult. I just want to prepare you for this. Um, We're going to start off on sort of a negative perspective and then move towards positive. And so stick it out for the first 20 minutes of this message. And I guess if you survive that part, you're going to really like the end. But just kind of stick with me because we got to deal with some of the bad news to get to the good news. Um, But but let's just kind of walk through this together, digging into our past. And and really, here's the, the statement I'd like to make that is a little challenging, but something that we need to start off with, which is that part of who you are is determined by where you've come from. And part of who you are is actually determined by other people in the world. And it's, I'll put it to you this way. You didn't pick where you were born. You didn't pick where you grew up. Somebody else picked that for you. And, and even your, your place of origin has shaped you to some degree or another. Um, and, and now, our church is really interesting. I, I have this suspicion that ACF Church is the most geographically diverse church in Alaska. Um, in fact, I think you guys are from all over the place. So just out of curiosity, where are you from? Over here, what's, what's your home state? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, over here. Georgia, over here. Where are you guys from? South Dakota. How about here? Where are you guys from? Florida. Anybody in the middle here? North, North Carolina. Spain, Missouri, South Carolina. All right, where are you guys from? Michigan, how about here? Throw it out. You can talk in church, it's okay. How about you guys over here? Oregon? Oregon? Yep. How about you guys in the corner? North Carolina? Tennessee? All right. It's interesting. We we could probably cover all 50 states, couldn't we? I mean, we are from a lot of different locations. And how many of you guys know that where you were brought up sort of is on you still, right? Like you southern people, you've lost your southern drawl until you get around another southern person, right? And then the the northerners around you can't understand anything you're saying anymore because that that accent comes up again. Some of you grew up in very outdoorsy, like hunting, fishing areas. And others of you grew up in urban environments, you know, where you never did that. And so you get in these conversations and, and you're like, you do what? You carry a gun in the woods and you like, you shoot stuff? That's barbaric, right? And you're like, that's dinner. I don't know. This is just what I've grown up with is hunting and fishing. And, and so it's interesting how where we're from determines a lot of kind of, you know, who we are. Like if you're from Alabama, it means you know how to win at football, right? <laughs> Roll Tide. So I just got to throw that out there. Oh, really? 
Got some haters in the room. It's good. It's good. My wife's a Bama grad, so I am uh, maritally connected to Alabama. So where we're from, it, it really does shape a lot of who we are, and, and it's hard for us to acknowledge this, but a lot of who you are was determined by somebody else to some degree or another. The home that you maybe grew up in. How about the parents that you had or some of you didn't have? You maybe had a single-parent home, or maybe you were adopted, and, and the home environment that you had, and, and, and how healthy that was or unhealthy that was, to some degree or another, shaped you as a person. So that's kind of a shocking reality that, man, that uh, to some degree is beyond my control. I couldn't have determined that. But, but here's what's even harder, I think, for me to, to get my head wrapped around, which is that somebody else's life, to some degree or another, is being determined by me. Now, I could just start with my children, right? Like, I am, I am three little kids' daddy, and I will be the one that one day they're going to counseling for, the one that one day they, they talk about, okay, my dad did this, had this bad habit of this, or this good thing over here, and so I'm like shaping to some degree or another these kids' lives. Like, we have chosen to live in Alaska, so they are little Alaskan children at this point. And, and so that's hard enough, but then I think of the other people in my life that I rub off on all the time, the people that I work with, the people that I live in this community with, the people I go to church with. And to some degree or another, I'm shaping other people's lives. And you might be like, well, that's you because you're preaching. No, that's you as much as anybody else. Because as we walk through life with people, we tend to rub off on them. And our good decisions and our bad decisions will shape the lives of other people. It's interesting, there's some, some recent scientific evidence of this. It's something called epigenetics. Have you guys read up on this? This week I was just watching YouTube videos about this. Really interesting. Uh, this idea that, that really the decisions you make and the, the environment that you live in is actually shaping the lives of, of those who come after you, even at a genetic level, that your children to the second, third, and even fourth generation are being genetically shaped by the environment that you are in. The, even down to the stresses that you carry in life are being actually uh, experienced to some degree or another by the second, third, and fourth generation. And, and it's interesting, you can make a scientific and a biblical argument that the choices you make today aren't just about you. And, and that's kind of scary, right? Some of us are terrified about that reality. And we're going to get into just kind of a, a heavy topic here to start off. And we're going to talk about what does God have to say about the impact of our decisions on other people. We're going to start off in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I'm going to read two passages that seem to sort of contradict each other at first. And, and then we're going to kind of discuss that. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 8. This is God speaking. He says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. It's hard to say. Jealous God. So God is saying, listen, I'm not going to share my place of authority with anything else. So whether it's something you created, something you bought, or something you built, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm not going to share my place of authority. I am the Lord. And there's only one God. So God's like, hey, I am a jealous God in that sense. And then he says this. It's really interesting. He says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So when I read that passage, and when maybe when you read this the first time, the first feeling is this. It's like, this makes 
it sound like God is, is punishing people for the sins of their parents, right? It's like, okay, is this really what's going on? Like, God is going to punish my kids for my choices because all kinds of red flags start coming up, right? Like, what kind of God is this? What does this mean, you know? So let's go to another passage. This is Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 19. It says, Yet you say, Why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul whose sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Okay, so you read that, and you're like, okay, so we are responsible for our own situations. He's saying that we're, we're not just receiving this, this, this curse from our parents that we are destined to live out. We're actually uh, uh, determining our situation, and we are responsible for our choices as well. So there's some tension here. Like, how does this work together? How does this work? So we're going we're gonna to pray. This is, we're going to pray to open up this conversation because this is a really important thing to discuss because it shapes how we view God, and it shapes how we view the importance of our decisions, Right? Because when it's just about me, it's like, well, I can make the choices that I want to. But when it's about a a greater good, a greater perspective, a a greater community, then it starts to be even a bigger deal that we choose what is right in God's eyes. So let's pray together. We're going to open up this text. Jesus, thank you for your word to us. Thanks that we can wrestle out the truth together in community. God, thanks for the people that we have around us. Father, I, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, that you would illuminate your word to us. Um, God, I, I just pray that we would actually experience you in a, in a deep and profound way. God, we don't want to just read your words or um, come here and do church, Father. We want to experience life together. So, Father, be with us. Speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, the first question I think we have to answer as we wrestle this out. How does this work? Is God passing down everything that I do into my children's lives, like punishing them for my choices, or, or do they make decisions on their own? The first thing that I think we have to answer is the question, who is this God? Like, what kind of God is this that we're discussing? And the, and the first thing we know about God himself is that God is love. God is love. At a base level, we have to understand that in his essence, God is love. 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is what? Love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So if you want to want to understand God's love, you can just look at Jesus. You can look at Jesus. Jesus comes to the world as a self-sacrificial being so that he might die for the sins of humanity. That is love. Now it's important to understand that God is love. God doesn't just act loving. Like you and I, we are not love. Amen? You're like, come on, help me out. You're not love, I'm not love, because I can turn my love on and off, right? Um, it just depends on the situation, depends on the traffic. Like, I can, I can be loving, and then at, at other times I can choose not to be loving. But God himself doesn't do that. God is love. And, and so what that means is everything that God does, no matter how we view it, is an act of God's love. This is hard to, hard, hard to deal with, and it's uh, this problem of evil in the world and everything that comes up, but we have to know at a base level that everything that happens, happens through God's love, the things that God does. So because of his love, but we also know that God is also just. 
God is just, which means that God has set up a system in this world where our actions have consequences, don't they? And, and you need to understand that God's justice is not like the other side of his love. Like a lot of times people pin God's justice and his love up against each other as if God's like, I'm, I'm going to be more just today. Like I'm going to pour out my justice on the world and then tomorrow I'll be a little bit more loving. No, actually God's justice is an expression of his love. I'll put it to you this way. This happens all the time in our family. I'll hear two children screaming downstairs, fighting over something, right? And I'll come downstairs, and one kid will have a Lego, and the other one will be like, she stole my Lego, right? And so in that moment, I have a decision to make. I can be like, figure it out, and I can walk away. And to one of those kids, the owner of the Lego, that does not look like love, right? To the owner of the Lego, they scream, justice, right? There must be justice. That was my Lego. And so as a loving parent, I then figure out what's going on here, and then I discipline as needed, right? And and there are consequences to your decision to steal the Lego. So this is the system God has established in the world that as we make decisions, that there are actually consequences to those decisions, good and bad, And so what God does is he sometimes gives us up to the consequences of our choices. Romans 1.28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Sometimes God allows us to walk out our desires, even our evil desires, so that we might experience the consequences of our sins. And this is the basic idea here is, is the idea of sowing and reaping. Have you ever looked at that before? This idea that what you put in the ground is ultimately what you pull out of the ground. That you can't, you can't sow unhealth and unforgiveness into your marriage and reap a healthy marriage, right? When you sow unhealth and unforgiveness into your marriage, you're going to reap a really unhealthy marriage. And this is just how the, the world works. It, at a simple level, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? And we know that at a basic level that, in fact, the Proverbs speak to this, Proverbs 14, 23, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty, right? So if you keep talking about that job, but you never put in a resume, you're going to go broke. That's just how it's going to work out. And this is part of the system that, the, that God has created in the world, that we, that we sow things and we reap things, and that we're always growing something in our lives based on what we put in the ground, now, that's, that we kind of understand that to some degree. We go, okay, so I'm responsible for my own decisions. Maybe you've said this before. I did this to myself. I put myself in this place. But this gets difficult when we start thinking about that we sow things in the ground that somebody else reaps. Have you ever thought of that, about that? Have you ever thought that what you put in the ground, somebody else is going to pull out of the ground late, later? And ever thought, like, are they going to like what they pull out of the ground? If, if, if they look at what's, what's been sowed by my life? See, some of us have this suspicion that the decisions we make are actually affecting other people's lives. That we're actually shaping other people's lives to one degree or another. So let's go back to this passage in Deuteronomy. He says, For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. If you have a pen, you can write this down. Our sins have a cascading impact on the people around us. That's the first thing that we need to acknowledge. Is that we are not an island in and of ourselves. Is that we can't do whatever we want and think that we are the only ones that feel that. 
And now this rubs us the wrong way. This is the part of the sermon that you want to go get some coffee during, right? Because it's like, I don't like the idea that I make choices that are going to impact other people. I like the idea that it's not hurting anybody but myself, right? And so, in fact, we use this as an excuse for a lot of things in our lives where we let unhealthy or even evil things into our lives and we say that to ourselves, well, it's not hurting anybody else, right? Scripture would argue that it is. Scripture would argue that who you're becoming actually is shaping other people. It's actually affecting not just kids. You're like, well, I'm not a parent, so I'm off the hook, you know? It's actually shaping even the church. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, do you know this, that as the church, you're actually called the body of Christ? And there's a lot of great illustrations of this in Scripture, but it's this idea that when part of the body hurts, does the whole body not feel that? And when part of the body is healthy, does the whole body not feel that? And so your decisions and your choices are actually affecting the church itself. (laughs) Again, rubs our independence the wrong way. But we, we Westerners, we don't get this. But we got to get our heads wrapped around the fact that when we as individuals are healthy, the church is healthy. We will not have a healthy church if we as individuals are not healthy people. So our sins have a cascading effect on the people around us. This is why a few months ago we got together to do prayer and and just worship together. We did something called a corporate confession. And we got up, we stood up, and we confessed sins together. And now we don't do this a lot. This is something that we tend to not connect with. In fact, I did this a few years ago. Uh, same corporate confession, and a man came up to me afterwards, just like red in the face, ticked off. And he's like, we should not do that in church. I'm like, why not? It was great, you know, getting up and, you know, confessing the sins of the community. He's like, because I'm confessing things that I'm not doing. He's like, I haven't struggled with pride lately. Is that exactly what he said? I'm like, bro, you totally missed it. You just totally missed the point. So he stomps off. He's just angry that he's, he's confessing these things, and he's like, I'm not guilty of that. But what's so interesting, if you read the Bible, what you see is in the story of Israel, man, we don't have time to get into all the stories, but, but you see constantly the actions and decisions of a few affecting the many, both for good and for bad. A few faithful remnants can affect the entire nation. And at the same time, a few very unfaithful people can really pull away God's blessing from that nation. And I would say the same is true about churches, the same is true about the community, that when we do things that are unfaithful to God, it affects the entire community. And that we together can confess the sins of our brothers and our sisters and ask for God's grace and and for God to move in those areas of our lives. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought, man, we are broken in this area. And it's not something that you personally struggle with, but you see the impact of it on the people around you, and you go to God, and you confess that issue, and you ask for his grace in that area. You see, this is so much bigger than our own little experiences. Scripture is so clear. Our decisions, our patterns in life get passed down. And we see this generationally, actually, in a bunch of people in Scripture. In fact, these were listed out in the book. I'm going to go through these real quick because I think it's such a clear picture of this. First, How about deception and lying? Is this something that's in your life? Do you have a a trend towards if you think that you're going to get ahead, if it's going to save you a buck, if it's going to help you in the long run, you think you're going to choose to to deceive or to lie in a situation. How about this? Abraham lied twice about Sarah. Isaac and Rebekah's marriage was characterized by lies. Jacob lied to almost everyone. It's interesting. His name actually means deceiver. 
Ten of Jacob's children lied about Joseph's death, faking a funeral and keeping a family secret for more than ten years. So deception, 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 deception. Generationally to generation. So how about the sibling rivalry? How are you doing with your siblings? You guys doing good? Do you talk? Maybe like Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, you talk together. Isaac and Ishmael were cut off from one another. How about this? Jacob fled his brother Esau and was completely cut off for years. Joseph was cut off from his 10 brothers for more than a decade. So this pattern of, uh, of sibling rivalry and sibling unhealth was passed down. This is an interesting one. We don't think much about this. Poor marital intimacy. Like, that's getting a little too personal, Brian, right? I mean, that can, it can't possibly affect anybody. I mean, what happens behind the bedroom door stays behind the bedroom. Well, here we go. Abraham had a child out of wedlock with Hagar. Isaac had a terrible relationship with Rebekah. Jacob had two wives and two concubines. So there's this, this rhythm in these families of sexual brokenness that gets passed down from, from uh, generation to generation. So, okay, so hopefully we're acknowledging this. My decisions affect other people, not just my genetic family, but the family of God, the people around me. But the very next question in my mind was, was really about fairness, and, and it was about innocence. Like, what's going on here? Are innocent people being punished for my mistakes? Like, that's not fair. How could that, how could that be something that is loving by God? Let's go back. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation, listen to this, of those who hate me. What's going on here is, is that these generations, each generation has an opportunity to pursue God, to love God, to follow God, or to reject him. Just like you do today. And you have come from somewhere. You've got parents and grandparents and great-grandparents that have passed certain things down to you. And you will either start new things and healthy rhythms that will be passed down for generations, or you will continue on a line of unhealth in your family. So he's saying the, the father's patterns often become the son's patterns. Do you not know that? Have you ever seen stuff in yourself like I do all the time? Like I just, I seem to be like my dad, right? For better or for worse. Or what, what can happen sometimes, you're like, no, I have actually rejected everything from my parents, right? My goal in life is don't be like my parents. And once again, if that is your goal in life, if your goal is just to not be like your parents but not to just pursue Jesus, what you're going to do is you're going to end up overcompensating on the other side of things. Like if your parents had issues not expressing their, their anger and their issues, you're going to actually be somebody that, that is raging and, and, and says things that you shouldn't say. It doesn't close your mouth, right? If you had this family maybe that didn't have much money, and you're like, man, I want to have money, and so now you're over here and maybe you've become a little too materialistic. See, we don't want to just not become what our parents were or not become what somebody else in our lives are. We actually want to pursue the ways of Jesus because once, away, once again, he shows us the best way to be human. And so I was thinking, what are the things that get passed down? What are the things that we see? Turn this thing on here. There we go. What are the things that we see in our lives and maybe the lives around us that have kind of gone from generation to generation? And let me just encourage you in this. If, if you have a few minutes this week, grab a piece of paper and a pen and just draw out a family tree and do something that is called a genogram. Some of you have, have done this before, but you can actually go to even your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And you remember doing this from grade school? Like, you, you, you got grandma and grandpa, and, and you got mom and dad, and you got you and your siblings and your children. And I want you to start having conversations with family members about 
some of their struggles in life. And what you're probably going to see is that there are some patterns that have been passed down from generation to generation. And so here's, here's one. I was just thinking, what are the things that have affected our lives? I think a lot of you have dealt with divorce in your families, right? Divorce is a heavy thing, and it definitely affects your life, and, and, and you got the multiple, multiple Christmases and multiple Easter's and the tension in the home. I think about abuse. Definitely has shaped a lot of people's lives. Rage, anger, shaped a lot of lives. How about this? How about substance abuse? Do you see like a lineage of substance abuse in your family? A lot of people have that. Let's think about this. How about porn addiction? Just got quiet in church. Or you could just say sexual brokenness, like we said earlier. Another, another thing that you can see passed down, in fact, interesting, a friend of mine was telling me about this. He said, this has been a struggle in his life for a lot of years, and he felt so isolated and alone. He's like, man, I, I just don't know what to do with this. And, and, and so he started digging into his family's history, finally sat down and had a talk with his dad. And, and had never talked about anything like this before. And he's like, Dad, I just want to know, like, where's our family come from? Where have you come from? And his dad just opens up about his past, about his addictions, and about some of the sexual brokenness in his life. He never knew that his dad had such an issue with this. And they were able to have, like, a really honest conversation. And his dad's like, honestly, yeah, you know, Grandpa had a huge issue with this, and, and there was an affair that was a secret for a lot of years, and these like deep, deep family secrets that he had no idea existed in his family until he started digging this up. So sexual brokenness is a huge one. How about insecurity? I mean, there are, there are hundreds of others that you see in your life, and I see in my life, these, these patterns that we see being passed down from generation to generation. Now, some of you are thinking, Brian, don't go there. Like, I don't want to go there. Uh, some of you in the room are probably even resisting this because you're like, Brian, I, I just think, haven't you heard let sleeping dogs lie? <laughs> like, if it hasn't come out yet, let's not deal with it at this point for the better. But I just want to encourage you, like, understanding where you came from is so key to you becoming emotionally and spiritually healthy. If you don't know where you've come from, you're going to be really confused, and you're probably going to feel really alone. But when you start to understand where you've come from, you can, you can make some steps forward. You can actually make some decisions to be the end of this. Like, what if you were to say, hey, listen, divorce ends with me. Like, this is a pattern that is going to end with me and my wife. And we don't have a perfect marriage, but we're going to fight for marriage. And what if you were to say, listen, abuse is going to end with me. I know that for generations this has been in my family, but I'm going to end it today. Rage and anger. I will not become this person. I will, I will do whatever I can to seek help, to get counseling, to live in community with other people, be encouraged to be a different person because I want this to end with me. And I believe that you can really do that. But some of you feel so stuck and you feel stuck. Maybe, maybe you even have blamed your family. And this is not where we're going because this is where the culture goes. The culture says you are at the mercy of your upbringing. You will become what you were given. You are shaped by this and that's just who you're going to be. So just blame your mom and your dad. But what's so cool is that scripture gives us a better way. It says in Ephesians 2.19, so now you Gentiles 
are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. This is cool, you guys. You get to actually embrace a new family way. You actually, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, you are actually given a new spiritual genetic code. And now this new genetic code, it it trends towards holiness and grace and patience and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. This is the new you. And so you are not a victim to your family's heritage. Amen? Like, that's a good thing. You're not a victim to anybody else's decisions. You can actually be the end of this stuff, and you can't do it alone. Praise God. The Spirit of God comes into us to give us what we need, and you're still going to stub your toe and mess it up occasionally, but there's so much peace knowing that your new family heritage is so different than your old family heritage. It's actually stronger than your old family heritage. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 10, this is a part that I think a lot of people miss. They miss the grace in this passage. He says that there's going to be effects of your sin to the third and the fourth generation. People are going to feel it. But God will be showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So do you see, do you see this? I want you to write this down. God's grace is disproportionately greater than our sin. This, the best way I could think to draw it is, is like this. You guys ever used to play on the seesaw when you were a kid? Like, anyway, just me. Okay. So the seesaw. I used to love the seesaw. So let's say this is you. I was thinking, this is kind of your life, is that the grace of Jesus is always disproportionately greater than your sin or your upbringing or the abuse, or the anger, or the substance abuse, or the porn addiction, or the sexual brokenness, or the insecurity, or the divorce, whatever it was, whatever it is, that God's grace is always disproportionately greater than your sin. Do you see this? God's like, yes, the, the impact of your sin will be clear. There will be consequences. That's how God has established this world, that there are consequences for our decisions. But the reconciliation and the repairs that God wants to make on your life and the lives of others will always be more powerful than anything you've ever done, anything your mother has ever done, anything your grandparents had ever done, God's grace is disproportionately greater than our sin, which means that not only do we pass down unhealthy things, we can actually pass down blessing. Do you know that? Do you know that you can make decisions today to pass not just into your kids, but into the church, into your friends' lives? You can pass blessing into those generations. And and I love this. He's saying, listen, your decision to be faithful has this exponentially bigger impact on the world than your decision to be unfaithful. Now, your decision to be unfaithful, that's bad, and it's going to hurt you and hurt other people, but you choose faithfulness. You choose grace. You choose generosity, and you could impact thousands of generations. Have you ever thought that? Like, what if the way that you pray today isn't just about you or your kids? It's about your great-grandkids or your great-great-great-grandkids, and they're going to feel the impact of your faithfulness. What if it's about a friend of yours or their kids and you choose to mentor somebody else's kid who doesn't have a dad and you're going to impact that kid and his kids and generations after that child? I was thinking about this for my family. I have the blessing to have grown up in a, in a Christian home, a home that, that loves Jesus, and it wasn't perfect. It had brokenness like any other family, but we always came back to Jesus. And a few years ago, my, my grandfather passed away. I was able to go back uh, to our family's home in Maine 
And we were digging through their house and going through all their old stuff. And I came across my grandmother's Bible. And it was so cool to just open up the pages. And, and, and she had written notes back when people used to have paper Bibles. She had written notes in her Bible and all these little prayers and things that she had prayed for for our family. And it was just amazing to read through these things and think, you know what? I am a recipient of this woman's faithfulness. And I, it just popped in my mind this memory of seeing them at 4.30 in the morning when I'd come downstairs, we were staying with them. I'd see my grandfather and my grandmother at the kitchen table holding hands, reading the Lord's Prayer with their Bibles open. And I'm thinking, you know what? I feel her faithfulness today. And I'm thinking my children are feeling the faithfulness of my grandmother from years and years ago. And what about you? What are the decisions that you could make today, not just for your children, but for your church and for your community to be faithful? I want you to know your choice to be generous to ACF Church, to give of your finances, is not just about you. Think it might be about somebody in 10 years, in 20 years, in 50 years that's going to move to Eagle River and find a community to be a part of because you chose to be faithful in 2018. Now, we don't tend to think this way. We think, well, what am I going to get to see? But what if God's like, you're not going to get to see it? but I'm going to use it. Would you still do it? What if you don't get to see it? What if you don't get to actually reap it from the ground? What if somebody else is going to pull it from the ground? Would you still do it? Would you still be faithful? I think for many of us, it's like, no. No, I want the payoff. It's God's like, no, you choose faithfulness and you will impact thousands of generations to come. I met with a man um, who's a pastor when I first took over this role to teach at ACF Church, he was actually the pastor of ACF uh, years and years ago. You may not know this, but this church was planted back in the 80s and, and, and did some amazing things back in the day. And, and uh, it was a smaller community. And God used that community, to, I think, to shape Eagle River in a lot of different ways. And so I sat down with the longest standing pastor of ACF Church, and we had some coffee over at Starbucks, and he just shared stories of all the things he had hoped and all the things that he had prayed for the community of ACF Church. And here's what he told me. This is so cool. He's like, I've been praying for ACF Church since the 80s. I've been praying for this community, that it would be a community that would reach our city. I've been praying that ACF Church would be the kind of church that the lost would come and find life in Jesus. That they'd feel comfortable to bring all of their baggage and all of their history into the church and wrestle with their faith and their doubts together. And he goes, he says this, he says, ACF Church today is the church I always prayed it would be. And he's going, he's going, I'm not a part of it. I've moved on. I'm doing other ministries. I didn't get to reap it from the ground, but I know I planted it. And so I'm like, I'm a weepy mess, you know, like, praise God, this is amazing. We get to see God work. We are the recipients of somebody else's faithfulness. Your decisions today could impact thousands of generations. Your choice to be faithful to God could change the world. Would you still do it? Would you still walk in faithfulness? I want to close out with this story that Jesus tells. It's a great story. He talks about this man who has a vineyard. And this man, he starts hiring people to work the vineyard. And so early in the morning, he hires this group of people. And he says, I'm going to pay you a buck a day. Not a great wage. A buck a day to work in the vineyard. And they start working. And then at 9 a.m., some more men show up. And he says, I'm going to pay you a dollar a day to work in the vineyard. And they go to work. And then at noon, some more men show up. And they want to work in the vineyard. And he says, I'll pay you a dollar a day to work in the vineyard, so come and work. This is Matthew 20, verse 8. 
It says, when the, works, the day's work was over, the owner of the vineyard instructed his foreman, call the workers in and pay them their wages. And this was culturally how things would work. Typically at the end of the day, you'd get paid. Not every couple weeks, but at the end of the day. Start with the last hired and go on to the first. Those hired at five o'clock came up and were each given a dollar. When those who were hired first saw that, they assumed they would get far more. But they got the same, each of them one dollar. Taking the dollar, they groused angrily to the manager. These last workers put in only one easy hour, and you just made them equal to us who slaved all day under the scorching sun. He replied to the one speaking for the rest, Friend, I haven't been unfair. We agreed on the wage of a dollar, didn't we? So take it and go. I decided to give to the one who came last the same as you. Can't I do what I want with my own money? Are you going to get stingy because I am generous? Here it is again, the great reversal. Many of the first ending up last in the last first. You can write this down, last point. The unfairness of the kingdom grants us an opportunity for salvation. Praise God that the kingdom of God is not fair. Does this look fair? Seems like it should be going the other direction, doesn't it? And as I look at my life, I see so much that isn't fair. Now, we think the other direction. We want more. We think we haven't been given, but maybe you've been given more than you know. Maybe there's more opportunity than you realize to step forward in what God has for you. And what if you are a recipient of more grace than you even realize? See, I think that's the case, and the kingdom of God is that way. Praise God that God's not fair, because if he were, all would be lost. All of us would never have a chance, because we deserve separation from God. We deserve eternity away from God, and yet God says, listen, through my grace, we can restore what was broken. You can heal what has gone wrong in your family, and you can actually change generations to come. And so what if we all start thinking this way? What if everyone in this church begins to embrace this new identity, this new life, this new family line, this new genetic code, and we say, listen, this is who I was, but it's not who I am. Who I am is in Christ. I'm part of his family with a new way of life, a new trend towards holiness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and love for God and love for the world. That's who you are, and that's who God wants you to be. Let's pray together. God, I just want to acknowledge that this is really difficult work. And it's hard to dig at our pasts. Um, Many of us would rather leave it in the past. Um, But God, I know that you have better things in store for us through the hard work of dealing with where we've come from. God, there are probably people here today who feel like they are victims to their genetics, victims to the trends in their lives or their family's trends. God, I, I just pray that you would pour out your grace on us in such a way that we would realize that it really is possible to live a life like Jesus. It really is possible to choose grace in difficult situations. It really is possible to overcome our sexual brokenness. Father, I pray we'd leave the excuses at the foot of your cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave no excuses. Thank you, Jesus, that you were so willing to choose your your destiny in life, to give up everything for us. So, Father, may we be the kind of people that embrace a new life in Christ, 
May we be the kind of people that have a bigger vision for our lives than just what we have in front of our faces. May we think about generations to come, the people we might impact, not simply from avoiding sin, but from pursuing faithfulness and goodness and self-control. God, I pray as we worship for the next few moments, we could just let some of these things go. We could trust that you can do work. God, would you fill our hearts with the belief that you can still change things in our families and in our homes? Would you give us peace where there is no peace and joy inexpressible and inexplainable? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys, thanks.